I mean, and this is just such a neat, very prestigious out-of-conference game. I mean, have you seen Rudy? Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. And today is our first um, in-season preview show, and we are going to give you some um, icy, icy cold takes that are backed up by numbers, and just we're going to ration the crap out of this um, whole experience and just turn on our robot brains. So um, what's the best place to start here? Got So we really want to talk about... Um... I want to see, based on last game, where do you think we need to improve in order to play a team that is really that has like a national stage to perform on? Where do we even start with that? Um, I think the number one thing, uh, just looking through the stats last year, last time, and this didn't show super well on the stats, but I think it's something that um, just the eye test backs up, is that we really have to improve on the interior of our line. Um, I could not find the defensive stuff rate for App State last year, but I do know that their defensive success rate overall was high enough that that tells me that um, that tells me that you know their defensive line was a quick and relatively shallow line that had a lot of success on our guards. That is not something that we necessarily need to be totally like upset or depressed about because we do have Solomon Kinley coming back, who is mm-hmm. a big, powerful guard, not not necessarily in the um, same body type as our as the two guards that started for App State, he's something like 6'6", 330. He, he weighed like 380 when he came in to UGA. Um, so I think he, I think he could really, we could see some improvement on the right side of that line. But I think that's the number one thing. Do we have any news on uh, Malcolm Parrish? Malcolm Parrish will not be back. The only okay. other concerning thing is that it looks like Aaron Davis, um, who is Malcolm Parrish's replacement, is also a game-time decision. Um, yeah i know (laughs) in that instance tyreek mcgee would be the quarterback or the cornerback to step up there um if you see that if you see 35 not starting at the cornerback it's not necessarily too bad tyreek mcgee is an experienced player and a good player um the issue is if mcgee takes an injury then we might be up a kind of creek without a paddle um so you know depth in the secondary is becoming somewhat of a concern at the cornerback spot i feel pretty good about us at safety but um, if we take another injury, it's going to be an issue. Gotcha. So we are getting uh, pretty shallow in terms of actual backups. So injuries could be a real issue in Notre Dame, at Notre Dame, really. Yes. I mean, especially in the secondary. I mean, I think at a lot of other places, we're pretty deep. Um, the secondary is just a place where we've taken two kind of key injuries already and can't really afford to take another. Obviously quarterback, but, you know, that almost goes without saying. Mm-hmm. Um, do we have any other newsy type stuff we want to talk about? That's something I actually did not get a lot of time to actually look at this week. I've been trying to figure out what else is going on with Notre Dame. What are they good at? What are they bad at? And that's kind of where I focused my, my time. But I don't know what's going on in terms of like news narrative for them. Well, I listened to a couple of Notre Dame podcasts this week because I'm a degenerate. Um, <laughs> they seem very uh, wary about their team. They are a mm. team. They're a fan base similar to Georgia's that have been burnt a lot recently who feel that they can't win the big game anymore. And Mm -hmm. while I think they're cautiously optimistic about their performance against Temple, um, the general sort of uh, milieu of what's coming out of them seems to be pretty, um, I would say, tinged with worry, tinged with a little bit of distrust of this team. And I think specifically on Ryan Kelly, who is, you know, 
um, one of those coaches who is firmly, firmly, firmly in in the hot seat. Yeah. And this is really neat, too. Like, traditionally speaking, in the last 10 years, we have not done really well against teams in the top 25, uh, especially against teams that have gone on to play in, like, a national championship game, which Notre Dame is definitely one of those. I would even argue based upon narrative and not data necessarily, that had we beaten Alabama on that fateful game in the SEC championship, we would have beaten Notre Dame in yeah. the national championship. Yeah, I mean, I think the numbers back that up pretty... Um, if you look at S&P+, Plus, uh, I think that at that point that um, Georgia was something like three or fourth and Notre Dame was in the teens at that moment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think we would have beaten them. Not quite as handily as um, Alabama did, but certainly yeah, handily. the same way. All right, so um, I guess, you know, I think the best way to talk about this, break this down into stats, we're going to talk about um, things that we have thought about in terms of when Georgia's on offense, and then things that we think about in terms of when Notre Dame's on offense, and then we're going to get into a little bit of our own experiences for this weekend, and we're going to do some Vegasy stuff. So um, let's start when um, UGA is on offense. Let's see, uh, do you have anything you want to kick us off with though you know anything you want to throw out there i want to talk about our quarterback i want to talk about the keys to success for us um i want to talk about what are we expecting what do we need to expect what do we need from us to win this game because i know they have a great defense we have a great defense i think that is locked up in the mirror there but what we need to be concerned about the most is what are we going to do on offense i know this is jake Fromm's very first start um True start as a freshman quarterback, of course, came in uh, very late in the first quarter last game and had a fantastic game. But can he duplicate that? Also, are Chubb and Michelle going to be able to carry this team on their back? Because that's what needs to happen. Um, I imagine that's the key to success for us in this game. Is that true about the court, uh, the running backs, or are we going to expect something that um, just having this freshman quarterback that's had so much time to work with the team? since he was an early enrollee, is he going to be the secret to this because there's no tape on him, there's no information other than that first game? Is that going to be our key or is it going to be our running backs? What What do you think? Oh, no, 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 no. Um, if we're going to win this game, we're going to win because of our very good running back tandem. And actually, that kind of ties me into something I've been thinking about a lot. Um, I really think that the key stat you want to look at going in the first half of this game is yards per carry. Um so my general read on Cheney, well, I actually think this is more of a Kirby thing than a Cheney thing, but my general read on what Kirby wants to do is he wants to run the crap out of the ball all the time in the first half, even if it doesn't work, um, so that that will pay dividends down the road when you can just kind of manhandle people. Now, this is not in and of itself a bad strategy. Um, if Notre Dame is thin anywhere, they are probably thinnest at the defensive line, defensive line and safety. So, I mean, it makes sense. That's kind of what we did against App State. So this is just kind of that strategy writ large. The issue is that um, Notre Dame has a way better quarterback and a way better offense than Appalachian State does. So if we can get those yards per carry numbers up and if we can eat clock and if we can get some kind of points on the board in the first half, that is putting us towards a much better conclusion than the alternative. Because if we are just running into stone walls or if we're just getting bricked on every inside running play in the first half, that may pay dividends in the second half. But then if we're down by 15 points, it's not going to matter. You know, we we might be able to get six yards per carry in the second half, but if we're down by 15, we, we're only going to carry it like 10 times in the second half, you know? So, I mean, I really think yards per carry in the first half is very, very important. We need to establish a successful running game. And however that looks um, is almost irrelevant, you know? And whether that is 
inside, outside, out of the shotgun, out of some funky like pistol thing, whether that is just actually swing passes that take the place of a run, a run game, we got to get something going in the run game first, I think. Um, I think that's really the key. And I think Fromm, all Fromm is going to be asked to do is throw the ball enough that we can do that. And I know that um, if we played the second game the way we played our first game, speaking uh, defensively, like with our with our stuff rate and keeping the team down, um, yards per carry way, way, way lower, um, as low as we can possibly get it, then we're going to do just fine. But like you said, their offense is much better than the first offense we played. Um, it's deeper. It's more, maybe not more experienced, about the same experience, but definitely deeper, more dynamic, um, just better talent overall. And so if we can play the same game, uh, comparatively, then I think we'll definitely be okay. Yeah, I, I think this is the kind of game where um, a low-scoring close game favors up us. Mm-hmm. They've got two very good, um, well, they have two good defensive linemen. And everything behind them is just sort of like seniors who have not really ever made anything super special happen. So, I mean, if we can establish a run game and we can start making them rotate linemen, then they're going to be rotating in bad senior players and freshmen who are not ready to play. And that is what we want to get them to do. Now, I have some theories as to how we're going to do that, uh, because I don't think we're going to be very successful just running up the middle eight or nine times in a row, uh, specifically. So what I think that we're going to do is that their response to us running up the gut is that they're going to put a lot in the box, and then they're going to play zone behind it. They run a 4-2-5, so by default, their fifth defensive back is a rover. Um, I'm not sure that they can afford to keep him on the game. I even heard a rumor that he might get flipped over to safety because they've had some bad free safety play. But if they, even if they do keep him in the game, they're going to basically stack the box. They're going to put, you know, playing 4-2-5, they'll probably put seven in the box. They'll bring the rover in and they'll make us play against five defensive backs and they'll play zone. That's what I'm thinking. They'll, they'll play like peak zone where they have both of the um, cornerbacks looking inside basically and keying on the quarterback to try to write, read, run, or pass. Or they'll play like a man with like a roving safety. In either one of those, Eason just has to beat that. And, or not Eason, God, Freudian slip. Fromm has to beat that. And I think um, there's a couple of things that we're going to do to do, uh, to try to beat that. If they, if they, if we see a lot of zone, you're going to see some quick underneath stuff. You're going to see some, um, you're going to see slants. You're going to see like short slants. You're going to see, um, you know, ins and outs. Um, you're going to see very, I think, you know, shorter versions of the Javon Wims play that we saw in the last game. I think you will see a lot of, um, sticks and comebacks where it's just like run five yards, turn around, catch the ball. Um, because that's the kind of thing you have to do to pull that seventh man out of the box. And then I think if they adjust, pull the seventh man and they go, man, I think what we'll do is you'll see some shots down the sideline. We had a couple of those that didn't work, but I think that the coaching staff will probably be more comfortable doing that. The only other thing I think you'll see is we are probably going to try to get Nauta involved. And I would think that knowing that their linebackers don't, their linebackers are not great in coverage. They have very good, well, they have a couple of good rush linebackers and they have a couple of sort of like decent middle linebackers, but they don't really have anybody who can run with Nauta. And I'm thinking that, you know, the pretty much the only thing we're going to throw over the middle is um, just that deep seam to Nauta that we throw occasionally. And I, I do not see us trying to do anything deep. Um, I think that when we take sideline shots, it's going to be within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage, 25 at most. Um, and I think, you know, the way they're going to respond to that is they're going to start zone blitzing. We'll win this game because of Chubb and Michelle if they do well. But what's going to allow Chubb and Michelle to do well is if Eason can beat that secondary blitz 
um, that we're going to see, can beat the zone blitz that we're going to see, can beat the run blitz that turns into a pass blitz on a um, play action. Uh, and if he can, and that that's not going to involve throwing 50-yard bombs. That's just going to involve being accurate and throwing to a spot and hitting a guy in the middle of two or three dudes in zone coverage. And if we and if he can do that, I think we got a pretty good chance. So I do want to point out that I think it is funny that you've been saying Eason instead of Fromm a couple of times. It's happened a couple of times now. But the um, only reason I even bring that up is because I just want to mention, if it was Eason, we could definitely rely on his experience um, to pick apart this defense, to get off those short plays, to play... To, to follow through on those slants, to follow through in the cuts, the ins and the outs, and actually pass the ball when the box does get too loaded. Uh, because with a weak link in a freshman quarterback, we're definitely exposed to a more experienced defense that can definitely pinpoint and leverage that issue with us. But uh, can we rely on Fromm to, at the very least, just get the ball off reliably to our running backs? And if he does do that reliably, is that just going to make us too predictable? What's going to happen is that going to be the end for us? Because if our running backs get worn down, we've got uh, our, our our offensive game is really kind of worn out at that point, And we've kind of lost the ammo that we got in our belt. Yeah. And I think part of what we'll do will kind of be, it'll depend and we can talk about this in a minute, but it'll kind of depend on how well our defense is doing. If they're not scoring, I don't think Kirby's going to have any problem just running into the line three times. And if that's three and outs, I don't think he's going to have any problem. And I actually think, there's a version of this where if we seem to have their offense pretty well contained and we're not in a track meet where you see a lot more Christian Payne, I noticed that he was Christian Payne is our walk on. I, I got to tell you, like, I am the the college football version of like an addict. What I noticed was that and I was looking at usage rates last year. Um, Christian Payne did not get used a lot last year at all compared to 2015 because Kirby is not just he's not a huge fullback guy the way that Rick was. But I noticed that this uh, at the App State, we definitely had Christian Payne in on the Wildcat sets, and we had him in several times just as an H back. We I don't think I remember him ever being used as an uh, traditional I back fullback. But I think that um, if our defense is going well, what we might see if our defense is doing well, what we might see is Christian Payne comes in and we start just like hammering the ball. And I think what we're gonna say or what Kirby would say if if you know someone expressed frustration to him and he could respond i think the reasoning there is that basically if they're not scoring on us every time we hit them every time we we do a very physical play and we just try to force the ball down the center of the field that is going to help us in the fourth quarter um taking a moment from our stats based uh, agenda i wanted to bring up the idea that i think it's hilarious that christian payne may see some play this year uh in this game and the, the correlation between that specific name and the idea and uh concept of christian guilt and just the beautiful serendipitous divinity of this situation and i do hope he plays and i do hope he does well no you you know it's funny one of the th- arguments i've heard and i kind of buy this is that part of the reason why so many um Earlier tonight, there was a video of dog fans interrupting Brian Kelly's radio show because they were already drunk at a bar in downtown South Bend just calling the dogs. And um, there's just been definitely an unprecedented fan response to this game. And I think part of that, and I think there are a lot of reasons for that, but I heard a theory that part of that was that basically there is a sizable portion of Georgia fan base of Georgia's fan base that are like Savannah Catholics. They're like Flannery O'Connor Catholics. <laughs> and I, I mean, yeah, I know that that's true. Um, and that like, so this game means a lot to them that it probably wouldn't to sort of like your traditional Protestant from Atlanta, um, Georgia fan. 
Um, they definitely have that that little shine on them. It doesn't seem like our team is that um, interested in caring about that, but it, the fans, I think, definitely do. The only other thing I want to talk about when we are on offense is that their defense, um, they last year they were coached by Brian Van Gorder, and I watched a lot of their tape from last week. And, you know, they just had quite a few yards after contact. Um, and I noticed there were a few missed tackles. And I wonder... You know, neither of these defenses have ever have been tested really yet, and I'm wondering what their defense is going to look like once they're having to ch- tackle t- Chubb. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to make this one of my like official predictions, but I would not be surprised if we see Chubb or Michelle get some long gains on, you know, missed tackles, arm tackles, bad angles, etc. One other thing I want to talk about on defense um, very quickly is that you know, I said before that neither of these defenses were really tested last week, and that is particularly true for Notre Dame in the sense that they did not really get tested deep. Uh, their depth didn't get tested because they only defended 12 snaps inside of their own 40. A couple of Temple's points um, came from turnovers, and other than that, they really just didn't have much success. So we really don't know a lot about their defense in a lot of ways. You want to talk about when Notre Dame is on offense? Let's do it. Okay, so here's the rundown. Notre Dame has Brandon Winbush and two very good um, running backs. Well, I don't want to throw the word very good around um, in on a podcast about a team that has Nick Chubb and, Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle, but two yeah. good running backs. Um, so two good running backs. Uh, Brandon Winbush is their um, quarterback. He is mainly a runner. He can throw. He's got good mechanics. That's just not – he doesn't seem to be very accurate. He threw a really, really bad pick in the um, Temple game. Other than that, they have Equiminius St. Brown, who is a very, very good, you know, six six five, super fast, like all world wide receiver. They've got two or three very good tight ends, and that's about it. Their wide receiver depth is definitely a concern. Their offensive line, well, that's about it in terms of offensive weapons. The left side of their offensive line is excellent. Their left tackle and left guard are probably starting NFL quality. I mean, they're both going to get drafted in the first on the first day of the NFL draft easily. Um, their left tackle might be a first round pick, so. They definitely have some strength, um, and yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to look at here. So talking about all those tools that we just discussed uh, that Notre Dame has in its toolbox, what do we want to see from Notre Dame, or what are we most likely to see? Do we want to see them run the ball a lot so our defense can stop them? Do we want to make Brandon Winbush throw the ball, uh, pick that off so our defense maybe can get some pick sixes? I'm hoping to see some crazy defensive plays, Uh, but DJ Khaled, what are the keys to success here? Yeah, they run the crap out of the ball. They have a mobile running quarterback. They've got a deep stable of backs and a good offensive line. That's going to be the key. I think that we would like to try to make Brandon Winbush beat us with his arm. He is a very uh, quick, shifty, Deshaun Watson-type runner, um, a big dude at the same time, and you know the kind of running quarterback who has given us fits in the past. So I think what we're going to try to do is make him beat us with our arm. That is why I think our explosive play numbers on defense are going to be really important. Uh, you know, in terms of like, what does our tackles for loss look like? What do our uh, turnovers on defense look like? And just in general, what is our defensive stuff rate? Um, if we can hold them, if we can keep their yards per carry down, and I think YPC yards per carry is going to be a really, really, really good measure of who has control of this game. Um, just because I think. Whoever establishes the most effective run game is probably going to win this game. And I, I mean, I have less to say about our defense than I did about theirs, just because I think, I think our defense is better than theirs. And I think our defense is going to do, have a lot of success against their offense. 
But I also think that their offensive line is good enough. And Brandon Winbush is the kind of guy that has given us trouble in the past enough that, you know, they are a dangerous, dangerous team to play. Okay, so let's take a moment and talk about the narrative surrounding this game. What kind of just sort of traditional mainstream media narratives have you heard about this game? So I've really heard a lot less about media narrative and more so about just what people are saying. People seem to be super excited about this game. This is such a big game. We haven't had a game this big out of conference in a long time because all the games you see us play out of conference are always like in the bowl games and we're playing some team that we're just not super concerned about like Wisconsin or Nebraska and it's like oh whatever this is the end of the season but the fact that this game is at the beginning of the season and it's such a big team and it has such weight in on the national stage this is just really big for us uh, I think we've joked around about uh, just like the, the Christian narrative and this and that and why this matters to certain types of people and certain demographics that are dog fans uh but no, this is just, this is awesome. I'm so excited. Uh, and I, I wish I had more of a, a true media narrative. I know that you have a bit more than I do at this, right this moment, but mine just really comes from what I've heard people talking about. Yeah. And that it definitely seems to sort of just like king into what you say, what you were saying, the hype train is out, is just totally out of control for this game. Yeah, it, it, I hope at the very least it's a well-played game because a lot of people are going to watch this game in uh, Indiana new york wherever the crap notre dame fans are and then in georgia the only other narrative i've heard is just about you know brian kelly is definitely on the hot seat and that's something that you know as this game wears on it's it's kind of worth watching like is he on the sideline losing it he's he's known to have a temper he's known to turn red in the face so it'll be interesting to see what that looks like what he looks like and how controlled he looks if if and when things go bad which they do in college football so Nathan, you also always somehow seem to have some sort of inside source about what people are saying uh, in the bulldog world. So I want to know what are your sources saying about this game? What are they fearing? What are they talking about? Well, in the like sort of dog intelligentsia, like in the among people whose opinions that I respect as like learned observers of the sport, I think there's a lot of um, sort of like, and eh, maybe we don't win this game because of from kind of stuff. Um, a lot of skepticism, um, and rightfully so, I think, in a lot of ways. Uh, among the general, like, dog public, I think there might be a little bit of an unearned sense of confidence about this, just because Notre Dame is a brand that has fallen flat in the past, even though that really doesn't have anything to do with this game. It doesn't, especially since this is a totally different team than they were five years ago when they went, I guess it was five years ago, I keep throwing that number out, but I think it's, yeah. I think it was five 2000, years ago. 2012, yeah, you're right. It was 2012, when they went to the national championship, totally different team. There's really nothing to base this game off for us, it feels, other than that. And that is, once again, a totally different team. Even, like, history's sake, like, this series, the UGA Notre Dame series, we've only ever played them once ever. And it was with Vince Dooley in 1981, and we beat them. But that doesn't matter either. Nothing matters. There's nothing we can really base this off of, necessarily. Notre Dame, I feel like, is always a team that has a bit more luck than other teams. And they just yes. kind of skate by on... Uh, I don't even know what it is, but they, it's they, that aura. They get lucky. It's that aura. It's that God, man. Yeah. And you know, it's crazy because like, I'm not even sure that we can back that up in numbers, but they definitely do feel like the history of them makes it feel like, you know, I mean, they have a mosaic of Jesus, like right outside of their own zone for God's <laughs> there's sake. There's definitely some weight to this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm they, sure there's some sort of like, what is the, there's definitely a stat that has to do with some sort of differential that'll allow us to see like over under or a margin of like percentage of win rate or chance of oh yeah win. home like their home road splits yeah exactly that's what yeah it's actually interesting because their home road split is pretty good um yeah. but in the last let me make sure i think i got the stat right 
games against ranked teams, Brian Kelly's team, Brian Kelly is a coach at Notre Dame. He's currently six and 12 and he has lost the last six. Hmm. So Unless that's something that's Brian an interesting Kelly. stat to keep in mind. Yeah. Well, that's why he's on the hot seat. Yeah. Um, what let's talk for a minute about our own personal narrative. So like, what's, what's your plan for this weekend? You got anything you want to talk about with that? Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, this is the second game of the season. Last week, I was very busy with literally everything else in my life other than college football. Um, but this week, it's going to be fun because I get to watch it with uh, the family, so to speak, with um, uh, Anna and her whole family and most of our whole friend group. But you'll be in Indiana, of course. So that's like the the missing link. And Sam's going to be in Carrollton. So most of us will be there, but not everybody. So I'm, I'm just excited to sit around and have a game that I can actually watch because it's a later game. And I've been really enjoying all these later games that I can get out to. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the plan. Do you, um, do you want to talk about the whole audio thing you're going to do, or do you want to just let that be a surprise? I think it's kind of fun. I can, I mean, it depends on whether or not it pans out. So something we really want to do and something we've talked about before is like getting like quick captain's logs, or like hot takes from live showings of the game so if anything crazy happens or there is just a like a genuine response to whatever's going on we want to make sure we get it on tape so we don't have to like recreate it later on and so i'm going to be recording the whole game and seeing if there's anything good i can get for later so we'll see if that pans out (laughs) um and go from there i guess yeah and I guess I'll be, I'll probably be doing a couple of voice memos just at the game. Just anything that strikes me. Um, I cannot promise that there won't be some snarkiness about um, band stuff. And we'll try to, I'll try to keep my <laughs> band nerd them to a minimum. I'm going to the game with the Redcoats. I'm leaving about six hours after we record this, which is why my wife is in the other room. Um, sort of either asleep or upset at me and awake. And... <laughs> Uh, we're going to take the 12 hour bus ride up there. Well, we I say we, but I mean the Redcoats, uh, of which I am a part. Uh, my wife is going to go home for the weekend. And we're going to stay in Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is, I think, about an hour outside of South Bend. And then we're going to go to South Bend for the day. Um, I'm pretty excited. I really, you know, I know this uh, Notre Dame has a pretty small campus, so I really want to see, like, sort of what it's like and what all the fuss is about. And I think we're actually going to get the opportunity to, t- opportunity to take tours of the campus with uh members of notre dame's band which i think is pretty cool like the like a hospitality thing like some of their band members are leaving leading tours around and stuff um so i'm excited to see that that's not the kind of thing that you see in the sec um suffice to say that in the sec bands barely look at each other and when they do meet it's just because the music fraternities and usually they just sort of like snarkily like side eye each other and shade each other so it's very weird um to have this kind of like interaction yeah i mean i'm very excited i'm i'm excited to see what I'm, i want to get a picture with touchdown jesus i want to <laughs> you know if anybody if you're listening to this hopefully on your way up to notre dame um on friday morning uh and you want to meet me i would love to meet you whoever you are whether it's someone in the uh general dog nation publishing sphere or just like a random person who likes this game or this podcast and this game uh so let me know if you see if you want to hit me up at chapel bell curve i'll be on there all weekend and or if you just see a tall dude next to the sousaphones which are the big (laughs) silver carried tubas um just you know say say hello i'd love to i'd love to talk that is a lot of fun like i'd I'd like to say the same on the 
kind of ride your coattails into that. If you are in Athens and you're listening to this, I would be happy to buy your first beer at the brewery because I'll be there all day. And so I'll see how many people actually take me up on that offer. Oh, man. That's a this pretty is, sweet offer. Yeah, this is a really good offer. And you're going to have to listen to like minute 30 of this podcast. So that means <laughs> whoever's getting that free beer is by God earning it. I'm very excited to meet the person that actually approaches me with that offer. So, And we will we can like append, um, maybe we can throw like a work photo up on Twitter just so yeah. people know who they're looking for for both of us. <laughs> They can just ask for Justin or ask for Nathan, but you're pretty easy to pick out. Yeah, I would say in a crowd. Yeah, I'm six six, so you you're know, a little guy. Yeah, I'm not. I guess that's one thing we're missing from our social media presence is actual pictures of us. But who really wants to see us? They just want to hear us, right? Now, yeah, I mean, I'm throwing this up on Twitter for sure. Pictures mm-hmm. of us. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about predictions. Um, why don't you go first? Uh, yeah. So predictions. Um. I'm really hoping that this is a big game for us. I know that the spread is only six points, but I'm hoping we beat that by uh, at least a few points. I'm really hoping that the, what I'm thinking is the first half is going to be tight. I think we're going to lose the first half. And then in the second half, we come out, their team's tired. um, Our conditioning and our talent just kind of perseveres through, pushes through. And then Chubb in the late third quarter, early fourth quarter has some sort of breakaway for a big run play, like 60, 70 yards. Uh, and that kind of starts to turn the tides, and then we we pick up a couple more touchdowns just to seal the deal. I'm really hoping for either like a 17-10 or a 21-10 UGA. That's that's my prediction. I have I have a few predictions, and I will give you. I'm going to phrase my prediction in the we're going to win if we do this, and we're screwed if we do this. Yeah. So okay, I think we will win if we are losing by no more than seven points at the half. Mm-hmm. We have at least eight explosive plays on D. And we averaged more than 4.5 yards per carry in the first half. I think if we do those three things, we got a really good chance. Because that means we're establishing the run game, we're disrupting their offense, and we're not having to play catch-up and throw the ball. Um, those seem kind of asinine, but hey. Um, I think we're screwed if Chubb and Michelle run for under 100 in the first half combined. And if Indy has a good defensive run stuff rate in terms of like how often are they just stuffing us at the line of scrimmage. You know, I think that... I've gone back and forth. I wrote down Notre Dame 28, UGA 24, but I actually think I'm going to, I think I'm going to say, I, I just feel like with Fromm, this doesn't feel like a win to me. And maybe this is just me being a downer, but I'm going to say Notre Dame 27, UGA 24, three point game. That makes sense. That's mine is very bold. You're we're screwed if Chubb and Michelle go for a hundred in the first half. If that happens in my prediction, we're still okay. Cause that's kind of what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping it's like, kind of a stalemate the first half, and then they just kind of wear out because our team is deeper, stronger, there's more talent, better conditioning, mm. so on and so forth. You know, I mean, I think I said you were bold before, but one thing I do want to say is that for the longest time, everybody's been frustrated about Georgia because it's like we have all these four and five star, five star guys. When are we going to have this moment when we play like a team with 60% four and five star guys? And, you know, I think if your prediction comes right, that'll be that'll be why. This is it, yeah. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that this is the game that sets Kirby Smart apart. This is the game that we've been waiting for as fans for a long time uh, because we've been waiting to beat a team that is this big to kind of just let Georgia fans rest easy. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you like what you heard, please give us a rate. uh, Please rate us and subscribe on iTunes. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at chapelbellcurve. Uh, feel free to check out chapelbellcurve.com for a 
big compendium of all of the stuff that we produce, podcasts, blog posts, etc. And, you know, we look forward to seeing you in the Classic City slash South Bend. But until then, go, go dogs. dogs.